I'm David Fedor, and on today's episode of BG's and Me, Kyle O'Reilly, one of the champs who fled away, defends himself in this tweet by saying, quote, I only ran away because I thought the Bee Gees were attacking us and I wanted to be respectful. <laughs> Hashtag staying alive. And my mom sat down with us one night. And she says, you know, I don't do this often, but I want to sit down with you guys and I want to share something with you. She pulled out a, a Bee Gees 8-track. She says, this group is the biggest group since the Beatles. And she said, we're going to listen to this together. Here it is, you know, 40 years later. I vividly remember that night when we were just sitting there listening to the, to the Bee Gees on the A-Track. And when he comes out and he dances, you can't help but smile and yeah. dance along and sing along. Welcome to BG's and Me. I am David Fedor. It's WrestleMania season, baby. For those of you who don't know, WrestleMania is the biggest weekend of the year for professional wrestling. The WWE holds huge shows all week long, culminating in WrestleMania, which is like the Super Bowl of wrestling or the World Cup of wrestling. Wherever you wherever you live, this is the hugest show of the year on the grandest stage of them all. So, since it's WrestleMania, I wanted to do a wrestling-themed episode of Bee Gees and Me because there's some fun references and influences that the Brothers Gibb had on wrestling over the years. I asked my good friend Trapper Tom to be my guest this week because not only does he work for an independent wrestling promotion based out of Pittsburgh called the Keystone State Wrestling Alliance. Not only is he a wrestling historian, having taught a college course on professional wrestling, he is also a Bee Gees fan. So he gets us. <laughs> of course, I am a huge fan of wrestling as well. I've actually been a fan of wrestling for longer than I've been a Bee Gees fan. I started watching wrestling as a kid in the 80s with my dad and my brother during the rock and wrestling era of colorful, over-the-top characters like Macho Man Randy Savage and Andre the Giant. And much like any long-running form of entertainment, it's evolved over the years. So stars like Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels replaced those guys, and then came Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock, and now a whole new generation of wrestlers like Roman Reigns and Bobby Lashley entertain millions of fans of this billion-dollar industry that is professional wrestling. But despite all its success and popularity, professional wrestling still has this stigma. There's still people who sneer or judge at it. People throw around the F word that in professional wrestling is the most offensive word that could be said. Fake. For some reason, because this athletic performance is scripted, it carries this, you know, stigma of it being a joke. People look down on it like it's a lesser form of entertainment. Sure, there's some that are some shows that are better than others, um, but all television is scripted. Movies are scripted, yet nobody's leaving a movie theater complaining about the Avengers because none of it was real. 
Yet wrestling doesn't use CGI or stunt doubles for their action. It's the men and women that are acting as their characters, but also doing all the physicality and and do the the extremely athletic moves to tell these stories for the audience. When done right, it's the best combination of live theater and athletic performance that you could experience. So over the years of me being both a wrestling fan and a Bee Gees fan, I've been reminded time and time again that something that I love is either fake or it's dumb or it's phony. There's a chip on my shoulder for being shamed as a wrestling fan in the same way as there's a chip on my shoulder for being a Bee Gees fan. When in reality, wrestling is awesome and it's okay to love it. And the Bee Gees are awesome and it's okay to love them. So I unapologetically will love and defend each of them. And sometimes those two worlds intersect. And it's exciting for me to see my two passions share a moment like a shooting star across the night sky. So my friend Trapper Tom and I will talk about some of those times coming up on this episode of Bee Gees and Me, continuing right after this. All right, this is Bee Gees and Me. Today, I'm joined by wrestling historian and longtime KSWA ring announcer, Tom Liturgy, or maybe he's better known by his wrestling name, Trapper Tom. Trap, welcome to Bee Gees and Me. Thank you very much, Dave. It's a, it's a pleasure. I've been looking forward to this all, all day. Uh, and uh, we've talked uh, many times about our uh, love for the Bee Gees, and I'm just happy to be here. Yeah, so uh, I, I knew that since it's WrestleMania season, and this is at uh, a time of the year when everybody is all excited because all the great wrestling storylines are going on right now, um, I knew I had to make an episode dedicated to Bee Gees references, Bee Gees influences on professional wrestling. <laughs> then I thought to myself, who should I have on my show? And as soon as, you know, Disco Inferno didn't answer my calls or uh, anything like that, I was like, it's got to be Trap. So it's definitely not a prerequisite to be a Bee Gees fan, to be a guest on my show, uh, especially when we're talking about wrestling as well. But you mm -hmm. just happen to be both a wrestling fan and a Bee Gees fan. I wanted to ask you, Bee Gees-wise, mm -hmm. uh, we, we've had discussions in the past. You're a Bee Gees fan. Tell me about how uh, uh, you learned about the Bee Gees. Um, you're a few years older than me, so you, I think, experienced them at their height, whereas I became a fan later. Uh, yeah. So tell me, tell me what it was like in the heyday. Yeah, well... It what you'll appreciate, you'll appreciate this story because I am 53. I'm a little bit older than you. I can very, I could very vividly remember it being all over the news in the early 70s that the Beatles had broken up. I really wasn't sure what the Beatles were, but I could, even at four, five, six years old, I could understand the, the, the popular culture, the significance of the Beatles and the Beatles breaking up. And listening to the Beatles and then listening later on to, not long after that, Elton John, uh, Billy Joel, uh, 
folks like Donna Summer, uh, just the popular music of the day. And to this to this very day, and you'll appreciate this, I thought of, it, thought of this, 1978, I believe, is the absolute apex of popular music. I think that it was a small climb, about 78 gets to about 85, and then there was a small, and then you could say precipitous drop. But, you know, <laughs> I think that 1978 was the absolute apex of music, apex of music and, and the, the Brothers Gibb were right there with, uh, you know, in 1978. But, and I didn't get that appreciation until much later. What I appreciated was um, around the time of uh, Saturday Night Fever, my folks, my mother was my mother was always a big music influence on us, and you know I listened to a Tom Jones. I used to grab a, uh, a hairbrush and sing "Whoa, whoa, whoa, she's a lady." Over and over again on the forty-five that I had to turn to. That was that was my mother's uh, forty-five, and she says to this day that's why that's why I'm an announcer today because I grabbed the, the hairbrush and would sing uh, "She's a Lady" into the into the hairbrush, and I can just vividly remember my mom sitting us down. We had a top of the line set 1978. We had a top of the line stereo in the in the living room. And it was white, and it had an eight-track player, and it had a turntable on it, nice speakers. And, you know, we didn't, you know, we were uh, middle-class people. We didn't have major um, purchases on anything. But I remember my folks being excited about this stereo. And my mom sat down with us one night. She says, you know, I don't do this often. I said, but I want to sit down with you guys, and I want to share something with you. She pulled out a, a Bee Gees 8-track, and she says, this group is the biggest group since the Beatles. And she said, we're going to listen to this together. And I can just vividly remember going hit after hit, song after song. And, it was, and here it is, you know, 40 years later. I vividly remember that night when we were just sitting there listening to the, to the, to the Bee Gees on the 8-track. And wow. that was one of the that that's just an endearing memory to this very day. Now, was that a track? Was it the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, or was it one of the compilation albums? I think it was one of the compilation albums okay. because you know, in um, you know, seven. I was ten years old in nineteen seventy-seven. Uh, you know, seventy-eight with the um, with uh, Saturday Night Fever and whatnot. So I didn't see the I didn't see the movie until many years later but was always was always familiar with with the music and the beat and yeah ever since then too it's been ingrained in pop culture so no matter mm -hmm. where you were going it wasn't even a question of were you a fan it was a, a question of how much have you heard it or how much yeah. have it been because your mother was right it, they were the biggest thing since the beatles the documentary just came out earlier this year where you know, girls were screaming and running after the cars and going crazy with the Bee Gees just the way they did with the Beatles. And then on the charts, it was the first time since the Beatles that, you know, five songs were in the top 10 that, you know, consecutive number one hits were made and things like that. And I think over time, especially with the disco backlash, that's what a lot of people forget was 
yeah. how much they were and how popular they were. And now I think since we're farther removed and the emotion is left out of it, uh, I think people are starting to understand and starting to connect again and being like, oh, they were significant and they were important. Yeah, it'd be, you know, being uh, 10, 11 years old in the, in the 77, 78, I, I had no idea of their, their material from the late 60s. So I didn't learn about that until much later. Um, yeah. You know, and then when you listen, I'm a, I'm a big fan of anything uh, Casey Kasem from those, from those years. And uh, when, especially when I had uh, Sirius Radio, they would have Casey Kasem on a lot. And just, you know, it would nothing better, nothing was ever better on radio than Casey Kasem talking about the hits of the day. And then when they would talk about, you know, you would talk about uh, the Bee Gees or Andy Gibb or, you know, any of their contemporaries. That, again, that's, you know, that's my favorite time of, that's my favorite time of music. And then as time goes on, you, you read about uh, the the other songs that Barry Gibb wrote, and uh, you know, you know the the collaboration that he had with Kenny Rogers, and you know other people that had just uh, terrific songs of that time. And yeah, and there was another documentary years ago that I can vividly remember that uh, you and I, I think we've talked about this. There was another documentary years ago where they they mentioned the the sales and the popularity of the Bee Gees. And there's an argument to, to be made that they're number two of all time. That's, that's a discussion for another day, but I wanted to talk about wrestling a little bit. Um, sure. A lot of, a lot of wrestling is uh, showmanship and yeah. uh, connecting and connecting with the audience. And there's nothing like being at a live wrestling show and seeing the action and 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 hearing the sounds of the mat as the wrestlers fight and and throw each other around and you could feel the vibrations of the ring going out and uh the theme song's hitting the pyro goes off and your chest is bouncing with that i i could only imagine that being at a bg's disco concert would be something similar where there's a lot of heart pounding excitement going on um tell me what it's like being inside the middle of a ring ring announcing during a wrestling show well it, it's it's it, it's funny and and apt that you uh, make that equation because there have been a couple of times in my life that uh, you just get into the ring and you look around and you're like you know even though you know it's not a twenty thousand uh, uh, person arena or anything like that, but the the energy can just be phenomenal. And one of the times, a handful of years ago, we had Hacksaw Jim Duggan at FanFest. FanFest's atmosphere is unlike any other uh, atmosphere that I had ever experienced in wrestling. And we were at the Teamsters Temple a handful of years ago now, and we had Hacksaw. Jim Duggan there, and it and the Honky Talk Man was there too. You know, uh, talk about the music in in uh, in wrestling. But um, when I got into the center of the ring and people were literally hanging from the rafters because we did have a second floor, that that odd, that just that energy was unlike anything that I had experienced before. 
inside the ring. And it was just so, I actually made a, uh, a big goof. I was going to have somebody live singing the, uh, the national anthem. And I kind of goofed because the, the energy was just, was just there. And then we also have, you mentioned, um, I think you mentioned brawl under the bridge. Um, th- you know, we've had such big and enthusiastic crowds that brawl under the bridge, under the Homestead Grays Bridge for viewers who may be from out of town, uh, a historic bridge, a important bridge. We had wrestling shows underneath there. And there was one year that we had T. Rantula was going to come to the ring and he rides a Harley. And we told no one that he was going to ride a Harley to the ring. And we had, this was the year, I think we only, only had 600 people there this year. Uh, of the year that this happened. And uh, when we introduced his opponent, the King Dell Douglas, he was looking at the, at the stage. He was looking at the curtain where his opponent is supposed to come from. And he's jumping up and down and he's, he's yelling, come on, come on. He's getting himself all riled up. And then you hear the boom, vroom of the Harley Davidson motorcycle about a hundred yards back. And he rides that to the ring and the place just went, crazy (laughs) (laughs) and you know that energy is just off the charts and i remember again with bobby o the owner of the kswa i looked down at him he looks up at me and we just give a knowing uh smile to one another because there's no place in the world you'd rather be at that moment than right there and uh the next year we had T. Rangel would do the same thing this time with the 80-some-year-old mayor of Homestead, Betty Esper, on his Harley with him. And he rode to the ring with her on his motor on his motorcycle. In fact, uh, Pittsburgh Magazine had commissioned uh, Martha Ryle, Pulitzer Prize-winning photographer, to take some photos of Betty Esper. They did a big Betty Esper expose in Pittsburgh Magazine. She was there taking pictures of this just unforgettable moment. And I bought a print from her, and I have it here in my office, of uh, Betty on the back of... How often do you get the opportunity to buy a Pulitzer Prize-winning photographer's artwork of something that you helped capture? And, and you know, it's, it's unbelievable. And just, you know, even... The, you know, I'm looking at it right now. It's on the other side of the wall. But with T uh, driving his motorcycle and Betty waving to the fans, and you just see the people that are that are in the picture. You know, they're, they're all smiling from year to year. Some of them have KSWA T-shirts on. And, you know, there's just uh, an energy that you see in that photo. And, you know, that's it's an it's an incredible feeling to be in those moments that uh, a lot of people had a lot to do with. Man. And I know you're speaking modestly with uh, only 600 people at this show, but there's a <laughs> lot of independent wrestling uh, shows out there and a lot of independent wrestling organizations that uh, don't have such successful events. And, and these, uh, and, and you speak about the energy when, you know, you're in a room and it's to capacity and there's hundreds of people packed in there and they're all focusing their energy on that 16 foot square that you're standing in, in that ring. Yeah. That's something you could definitely feel. And it is awesome. And, and thank you for sharing those stories. And 
um, and things like that with uh, with your experiences. Uh, I wanted to shift gears now into some of the things of professional wrestling that I've found and uh, some of the things that I've uh, seen over the over the years as uh, related to and influenced by the Bee Gees. Um, now, just this week, I found a um, a funny screenshot that I took of a tweet from July 16th, 2018 uh, to set the scene. Uh, the NXT Tag Team Champions at the time were the Undisputed Era, um, and they ran away from a confrontation uh, with their guys, uh, the guys that they were feuding with at the time, Mustache Mountain, a uh, British tag team uh, that they called themselves the Mustache Mountain. Um, the tweet shows a picture of uh, Mustache Mountain sneaking up behind an unsuspecting Undisputed Era, and uh, the British team just happened to be wearing shiny silver ring jackets i'll show you a, a picture of it and uh kyle o'reilly one of the champs who fled away defends himself in this tweet uh by saying quote i only ran away because i thought the bgs were attacking us and i wanted to be respectful hashtag staying alive um so that's a, not necessarily something that um, was was uh, scripted and influenced directly by uh, by the uh, for the Bee Gees, um, but it was a Bee Gees mention, and and I thought it was funny, and 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 I also liked the idea that the tag team champions of NXT would have to be respectful and run away from the Bee Gees because they knew they were going to get their ass kicked by these disco legends. <laughs> Um, another another thing that I've always remembered and uh, is timely as well this year because Edge or Adam Copeland, his real life name, um, who he wrote a book called Adam Copeland on Edge. Um, he in his autobiography talks about coming up with his character, coming up with his um you know, edge character. They didn't know, I guess, I mean, you know, Adam Copeland spoke of this and I want to read an excerpt from this book because, uh, in it, he talks about, uh, finding this character at the beginning. Um, they didn't really know too much of what he was going to be. He says, I became edge, a tortured soul. That was it. I had no clue what the hell that meant. And I really don't think anyone else did either. My vignettes involved me running around the streets of New York, beating people up. That's great, but it's just not me. When all was said and done, I wanted to look like a wrestler with tights and all. I've always hated when guys look like they've walked in off the street and stumbled into a wrestling ring. The creative department drew up a character who had leather pants, green hair, a blue silk shirt, and some chains around his neck. I would have looked like a BG on crack. <laughs> so right there in his autobiography, and there's a, a sketch of what the character was supposed to look like. <laughs> I, 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 I have to admit, I have to admit, I read that autobiography, but I don't, I think I, I think I remember the sketch, but I don't remember the, uh, I don't remember the rest of that story, but yeah. yeah. And, and I, and I love that they use that as the pull quote for the margin as well in the book. <laughs> Looked like a BG on crack. 
So that was a lot of fun. Um, and then in terms of um, autobiographies, one other Bee Gees related autobiography mention was with McFoley's Have a Nice Day. Mm-hmm. So uh, McFoley is another legendary Hall of Fame professional it's wrestler. The, it's in the second row. Nice, nice. <laughs> um, so McFoley had a had a long career with three different characters. <clears throat> Cactus Jack, Mankind, and Dude Love. He actually started out wrestling, like backyard wrestling, as mm-hmm. a character Dude Love. And later in his career, he brought that character back uh, as a comedy character in the biggest stage of them all in the WWE. And um, he basically transformed himself from a hardcore wrestler who wrestled with barbed wire and all the blood and transformed himself into a groovy tie dye wearing ladies man who is dancing and strutting around. Um, and there was during his introduction of this character in the WWE, some Bee Gees influence and some Saturday Night Fever influence. Um, so again, this is from McFoley's autobiography. He says, I walked into the Fremont Coliseum in San Antonio, Texas in July of 1997 and heard an unusual retro disco beat booming over the loudspeakers. Vince was right there. And this is a quote. Congratulations, dude. This is your new music. That was my Vince McMahon impersonation. That's not bad. That's not bad. Um, so this is your new music. I had to admit I liked it, Mick said. I even learned the emotionally touching lyrics and began singing them throughout the day. Next, Vince actually tried to teach me how to walk with rhythm. I'd been doing the Mankind Stagger, the Cactus Jack Stumble, and the McFoley Limp for so long that I really didn't know how to strut like the Hepcat that the dude was. After several tries, we finally pre-taped some footage of just the dude's white boots strutting across the floor. So that was the first introduction, just like uh, Tony, you know, from Saturday Night Fever, strutting at the beginning of Saturday Night Fever. Uh, Dude Love comes strutting in. Um, So, of course, the biggest thing about the Dude Love character that was close to the Bee Gees was the actual theme song itself. Yeah. And um, it was a, a disco beat, and it had falsetto, it was it was uh, very very Gib esque, even with the mumbling, undistinguishable lyrics as well. Yeah. Um, but the but the theme the the refrain was dude love dude love dude love dude love, and um, it was a catchy actual catchy theme song. Um, so there was a big match that Mick Foley wanted to participate in in Madison Square Garden. It was a cage match. What inspired McFoley to become a wrestler was watching Jimmy Superfly Snuka jump off the top of a cage onto Don Morocco in Madison Square Garden. So McFoley, um, in his youth, replicated that by jumping off his roof onto one of his friends on a couple beds on his backyard. And this was his chance to do it in Madison Square Garden. And uh, he was wrestling Triple H and he leapt from the top of the cage and did his big snooker splash and had his and paid his homage. And he had this big physical match with Triple H. And then um, at the end, um, so he won and and it was like one of the highlights of his career. And um, he was laying on 
the outside of the uh, of the of the ring barely able to move because of this hard fought battle that him and triple h had uh, until the music started playing and that inspired him uh, and this is what he says about it in his autobiography quote the dude had won the match however had taken its toll on both men and and we lay momentarily motionless until the music played upon hearing the beat and the faux bg's groove it seemed as if the dude's boots had a life of their own. The melody must have been infectious because soon his whole body was moving. Even though badly wounded from China's cranium-crushing cage concussion, the dude somehow summoned the guts, the pride, and the testicular fortitude to strut out of the continental arena. So, again, in another wrestling autobiography, the word BG actually appears in print. So, uh, yeah, do you, do you remember much about the Dude Love? It was a brief yeah. run, uh, but in the 90s, the Dude Love character, it was a fun one. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, I remember the backstory that uh, that was a, a character that, that he had uh, back, back then, and it was such a, a throwback for him personally to be able to, to bring that uh, character out. And of course, there was the Royal Rumble year that he, all three faces of Foley were able to participate in the uh, Royal Rumble uh, in a, a very uh, uh, a very cool character. And, and Mick has always been such a cool character, and no matter what uh, gimmick he was he was using. Yeah. Now, for, for the listeners and watchers who don't know what a Royal Rumble is, it's it's you know one match. And it was a battle royal. You get thrown out over the top. And every two minutes, a new guy comes down to the ring and participates in the match. And one year, Mick Foley, since he had the three characters, Mankind, Cactus Jack, and Dude Love, he actually appeared in the same match three different times as three different characters. And it was it was a lot of fun. Well, you wonder if uh, if it was Cactus Jack. I don't remember. I don't remember if it was Cactus Jack out first, but uh, or if it was Dude Love or... Um... Uh, Cactus Jack, Dude Love, or Mankind was out first. What if he ran the table? He wouldn't have been able to to bring out the other two characters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, it was a calculated risk. I'm sure he uh, he thought about that. And and uh, if if he would have had a fourth character, he probably would have came out. You know, he, you know, he wasn't himself Mick Foley at that time, so he could have he couldn't have come out at that time. But you know, you would think that you know who's in the back it, it, just in case. Uh, you know, spot number 28 becomes available. You know, is it, uh, is it a young AJ Styles back then? You know, hoping, hoping to get that shot. <laughs> yeah. Talk Here's about veterans. Point. Yeah. Veterans taking spots from the young kids. Mick Foley out there limping, taking out three. Um, but yeah, uh, a lot of fun. Uh, there's one more character in professional wrestling that has, large disco ties so much so that i wore my disco t-shirt for the day <laughs> and that's disco inferno uh but before we talk about him i want to take a break so we're going to go to break after that we're going to come back and talk about the disco inferno so stick around to bg's and me all right we're back and we are here with trapper tom talking about the bg's influence on professional wrestling and um right away when you think of disco music when you think of professional wrestling and disco combined without a doubt you got to think of wcw's disco inferno 
<laughs> so it was the nineteen 19- kind of kind of looked like John Travolta's character from uh, Saturday Night Fever, and um, uh, they just ran with it. Uh, and you know, he wore the disco uh, disco uh, nightclub uh, attire to the ring, and he and he danced his way to the ring, and. Uh, they, it was a character that uh, a lot of people still think of fondly to this day. Glenn Gilbernetti, who was the um, Disco Inferno. Not so much. You don't really remember him by that name, but you do remember the Disco Inferno. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He definitely was one of those larger-than-life comedy characters that no matter who you put him out there with was going to get a reaction and guarantee the people in attendance had a good time. Yeah. And that was something that he was able to fully embrace as a performer. And for six years had an amazing WCW run uh, from the height of he. I, so I looked into and researched him a little bit for the podcast as well. Um, he was signed to WCW the week before Monday Nitro debuted. Really? So, yep. And he was with it until it ended with, with the exception of a couple months in between where he got laid off, but he was around for the nitro years. He was around for the hottest time of professional wrestling in the 1990s, which happened to coincide with a disco resurgence of the 1990s. Um, that's where I discovered the Bee Gees was in 1993. Um, I discovered them, and I've told this story hundreds of times, so I apologize if you've heard it, dear listeners. Um, But I discovered them in 1993 from their Sizes and Everything album. And then with the late 90s resurgence of disco and the popularity and the respect of the Bee Gees coming back with their inductions to the Hall of Fame and everything like that, ABBA was popular with the Mamma Mia and everything like that. Um, Music itself was going disco-y. Um, so Disco Inferno was an easy gimmick that was designed to get cheap heat, was designed to get people to chant Disco Sucks, Disco Sucks. <laughs> but but Glenn Gilberti himself ended up playing it so well that he was oftentimes a fan favorite. Well, that's I'm glad you brought that up because you're correct. When they first brought him out, it was supposed to be just an over-the-top heel bad guy that uh, the fans were supposed to hate. And they did. And Glenn did a great job of uh, uh, eliciting that uh, response from the fans. And he was a good wrestler. He wasn't someone that had no business being in the ring. He was a good, what they call in wrestling, a good hand. Somebody that that uh, can work with other wrestlers no matter their skill. You could conceivably work against a Hulk Hogan or somebody that's a, a cruiserweight or somebody that's mid-card and uh, he was always someone that was uh, not only a good character, he was a good wrestler, and he was also always able to elicit response from the fans. And like you said, somewhere along the line, he he started to get cheered. People embraced that wackiness and the goofiness, and they did really, uh, and he became a, a favorite. The fans at, at some point uh, really grew to love him. Yeah, I, I, I was I was looking up pictures and things, and you could see people in the stands and in the in the crowd holding up signs that say "Disco Fever," and <laughs> uh, and when he comes out and he dances, you can't help 
but smile and yeah. dance along and sing along. He just like do love. He has a, a very disco theme song, except his is more of a parody of uh, disco inferno. Um, it's disco fever, disco fever. And, uh, it has verses describing him much like honky tonk man. You mentioned honky yeah. tonk man. Uh, 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 disco inferno has given him credit with, uh, some of the influence to the disco inferno character. Um, but, but yeah, like it's, it's, it's infectious and it's, it's hard not to have fun when that sort of entertainment is presented to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, just like, just like a, a Bee Gees song. The, the disco era of the Bee Gees isn't my favorite, but the songs are so good that you can't help but listen to them and smile and love them. Yeah. Um, disco Inferno became, I want to put these stats out before we go get too deep into here. Um, he was with WCW for six years, was a cruiserweight champion, a two-time television champion, and a tag team champion. Um, then after WCW folded, he's gone on to, uh, work for other wrestling promotions such as the world wrestling all-stars and, uh, TNA impact wrestling as well as doing other independent wrestling appearances. And is now host of podcasts and, uh, guests on podcasts himself. Um, and Tom, as you mentioned, um, he looks like Tony Manero from Saturday Night Fever. Mm -hmm. He comes out. Uh, when he first came out, he was in the white suit. He had the white bell bottoms. And then as the character progressed, he started showing up in different colors and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an infectious uh, disco character who would dance during matches. Sometimes he would mess up during matches. And, and, and I, I read where he had uh, like cheat sheets and stuff and, and had to look up his moves and, uh, and things like that on his, uh, on his cheat sheets at the beginning. His, uh, he had a couple signature moves. One uh, was his, his finisher was a stunner, like the Stone Cold Stunner. Uh, but his stunner was called the Chart Buster. I and, remember. Uh, and he had a submission hold uh, finisher. It was a standing figure four leg lock called the last dance. So I love that he incorporated <laughs> names. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then he, when, when he and Alex Wright teamed their tag team name at first, it was called the dancing fools, but then later on they teamed again and their name was the boogie Knights mm -hmm. with K N I G H T S. Um, and they became uh, tag team partners. Alex Wright himself was a, a German 1980s style, uh, like um, discotheque dancing guy himself. So it was, it was das just Wunder a lot of fun. Yes, Das yeah, Wunderkind. <laughs> so yeah, they were. You you mentioned uh, a part of his resume being a tag team champion. You don't give a tag team championship opportunity to someone that doesn't have talent. So even if it was a, uh, a short lived run, you know, it is a bit of a, uh, you know, a bit of a, uh, a certain gravitas to say you're a tag team champion and, um, <clears throat> and the, the TV championship, you know, assures that you're going to defend that belt on, on television and you're going to be on TV and you're going to be in front of uh, faces just about every week. So, you know, he was he was able to transcend what that goofy dancing character was supposed to be, and he transcended that and did a very good job of of uh, bringing such a goofy premise. You see that today for people that that uh, are newer 
wrestling fans. The New Day is a very similar kind of thing in that when they were introduced, they were like background singers for a religious gospel group. And they were supposed to be bad guys. But the fans, you know, they accepted them as bad guys for a certain amount of time. Um, But then ultimately the fans made them fan favorites. They made them fan favorites. So it's a very similar kind of thing for those newer fans that didn't know about Disco Inferno back in the day. Another another character as well, Fandango. Um, he is a very he almost has that same look yeah. as as Disco Inferno. Wears the bell bottoms and would come out and and he would do a, like a flamenco dance and uh, yeah. and things like that. Uh, and he was supposed to be a heel and was embraced by the fans and they did the hand <laughs> hand dancing and singing along with his infectious theme song. Um, and we mentioned Honky Tonk Man. Similarly, the generation before Disco Inferno um, had and held that type of character. Um, so yeah, it's it's there's there's always a place in a show, in a wrestling show, for a character like that. That is one of the you know uns, unsung guys who goes out there every week, does his best, and entertains the hell out of the crowd. Um, because when they go home, they remember those things. They don't necessarily some some people appreciate the uh, wrestling, um, the grappling and and the technical wrestling, uh, and then you got the bodybuilder guys with the huge power moves, and then you got the entertainment people as well. A nice, well-rounded show has all of those things. And and Absolutely. Disco Inferno was one of the one of the guys who was was almost underrated. One of the guys like Jericho, Eddie Guerrero, um, Rey Mysterio, uh, that that held that show in WCW for so long. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that can be glues, like like your Chris Jericho's, Rey Mysterio's, Dean Malenko's, those guys. And then there's there has to be a level right below that. And a guy like uh, Disco Inferno was among that. You know, he was a guy that was there every week. And he was always good for uh, some good, uh, some good matches every week. And he didn't have to, didn't have to have a championship. Didn't have to be in a marquee feud with anybody. He just had to be there and provide uh, what he did. And he did that. And he did that very well. And he was able to uh, transcend that with a uh, with a dancing gimmick because he kind of looked like uh, John Travolta from twenty years earlier. So yeah. yeah. And 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 every time he was on, I always thought of the Bee Gees, of course. Yep. Um, Trap, I wanted to ask you about the KSWA, the Keystone State Wrestling Alliance. You're the ring announcer for that uh, promotion in Pittsburgh. Um, there are some shows that have been booked coming up here this summer. Uh, this past year, obviously, has been really difficult with the pandemic. Uh, tell me what it's uh, like looking ahead and knowing that there is uh, wrestling in the future. It, it It's funny. It was February of last year, the KSWA, we hosted our 20th anniversary show at the home of professional wrestling in Pittsburgh, the KSWA Arena at Spirit Hall in, in the Lawrenceville section of the city of Pittsburgh. And we also had a guy that uh, is, has been a personal friend of mine uh, for more than 20 years. The mayor of the city of Pittsburgh, Bill Peduto, was in the ring 
and he gave a proclamation uh, acknowledging, recognizing KSWA's 20th anniversary. We had a letter from uh, Governor Wolf, and we also had a uh, proclamation from Allegheny County Council with Tom Baker, who represents a large area of uh, the Pittsburgh region, uh, and that we we had that we had a sold out event, and it was it was as good of an event with uh, performances in the ring and just the 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 fans and everything and everything else. It was as good a, an event we've ever had. And then two weeks later, we were shut down because of the pandemic. <laughs> and so, you know, the KSWA has been uh, eagerly uh, and anxiously on the shelf for almost an exact year. And there are times in which we've, we've wondered, you know, what is it going to look like? How is it going to look like? Because there have been some outdoor shows. There were some outdoor shows last year that at drive-ins and things of that nature that people were very uh, uh, far apart and they seem to be quality events. But again, we talk about something like Brawl Under the Bridge where six, 800 people are, are there and the and that atmosphere was uh, tremendous. And, you know, really, how can you have it on, on the same kind of atmosphere outdoors uh, you know, at a major league or a minor league baseball stadium or a uh, drive-in, not to, not to say that those weren't quality events. My, they, they can be quality events, but it's, to, it, it's different when you are in an event where you can have the people and you can enjoy the, uh, the energy and, and just make it worth your, and let, let's, let's face it. It is a business too. And when you have, full houses and you have, you know, great crowds, it's a, it's a business. It's a business first for especially the people that, that you know, sign the paychecks and, and pay the bills for the company. Uh, so you wonder what it's going to look like. But yes, uh, this week uh, was the announcement of 11 outdoor events beginning in May, ending right now in uh, late September, uh, 11 outdoor events at great venues in the city of Pittsburgh and some areas outside of the city of Pittsburgh as well. And obviously we're going to uh, follow all the uh, CDC rules and guidelines with masks and social distancing and that sort of thing, because they have lessened a little bit uh, from what they had been. And these uh, will be, and as if, if we're shut down in May, we're shut down in May, but we're looking optimistically as to how things are progressing. People are getting their vac- vaccination shots and things, numbers are dipping down. You know, it's, it's going to get nicer and things are looking optimistic because you can't, you can't be sitting on the shelf for a year and, and think that things are going to ramp up exactly the way they were. You have to, you have to be optimistic, but you also have to be realistic as how things are going to go. And we're, we're very uh, eagerly awaiting more of a, a green light. And we, at least we have a plan ahead of ourselves now. And it's going to be, um, it's going to be exciting. I'm already excited to see what we can possibly do in 2021. Uh, this is a moment in time that uh, a lot of us have worked 
very, very hard. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Very, very hard to, to be where we are right now as a leader, as a organization that others look up to, try to emulate and try to um, try to copy. And it's because of the work and the passion that, that we have for it. Well, it's 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 good to see that things are starting to open up and um, that once things progress and progress safely, that uh, hopefully we'll get some semblance of reality back and capture that energy that a live event, live wrestling events, live music events and yes. things like that could happen because because uh, that would be great. Uh, where can people find out more information about you and the KSWA? You can go to kswa.net. That is the official website for the Keystone State Wrestling Alliance. You go to my blog. It's kswadigest.com. That is the, the news outlet for the KSWA. I am proud to say that in 2020, the KSWA Digest won a Golden Quill Award for coverage of professional wrestling and that's a mainstream journalistic uh, organization, Western Pennsylvania, the Western Pennsylvania uh, Press Association, and the um, the Golden Quills, the 56th annual Golden Quill, uh, the KSWA Digest won for a vivid and comp- comprehensive look at the local professional wrestling scene that benefits both its members and the public. Uh, paraphrasing, but that's what one of the judges said when uh, it was announced that KSWA Digest won. So KSWADigest.com, thank you. KSWA uh, Digest, uh, KSWA.net is the official website. KSWA all over Facebook, and you can find me uh, that way as well. I'm not going to bog people down with the spelling of my last name, but yeah, you can, you can find us that way. All right, Trevor, thank you so much for taking time and um, talking about the Bee Gees and wrestling with me. Sure, absolutely. I appreciate it. I hope I didn't blather on too long, but I but I uh, uh, really appreciate appreciate the opportunity. Right, I'll, I'll, edit, I'll edit out half of it, don't worry. <laughs> Thanks, Hop. That has been this episode of Bee Gees and Me. I want to thank my guest, Trapper Tom. Be sure to check out the Keystone State Wrestling Alliance at kswa.net and Trapper's award-winning wrestling site, kswadigest.com. Be sure to follow Bee Gees and Me on Instagram and Twitter at Bee Gees and Me. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for great videos. Everything and more is at BGsandMe.com. And please be sure to subscribe here right now where you're listening to this podcast and rate us five stars. It helps so much. Thank you for listening to this episode. My name is David Fedor and this has been BGs and Me. And many.